You are listening to The Beaten Track, a podcast that brings you in-depth interviews and commentary about sustainable tourism. Are you interested in learning more about sustainable tourism with the insight of academics and professionals in the field? Then stay tuned. Here's your host, Sveva. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our EcoTour podcast. Today, I'm very happy uh, to be with the expert, the Professor Tuna Tashan Koch, uh, Professor of Amsterdam University. Good morning, Tuna. Good morning, Beva. The first question that I would like to ask you, uh, it's very broad. How would you, as a Eurobar planning expert, describe the city of Amsterdam? How is Amsterdam different from the other cities? Amsterdam is the economic heart of the Netherlands. So, of course, I see it, first of all, as the center of the uh, economy of the Randstad and the country. So it's the financial center. Secondly, it's the cultural uh, center of the country. Lots of cultural, culture-related activities take place. So, of course, it uh, makes a mark in its uh, cultural activities, um, cinemas, theater, concerts, arts, and all kinds of other activities connected to it. It's also politically a very important city. Uh, lots of uh, discourses uh, related to the Dutch urbanism and Dutch cities uh, are usually attached to Amsterdam. Although, of course, Netherlands has many other cities, usually people think about Amsterdam as the center of all those things. Um, it's also a, a very unique city in terms of its democratic culture. Uh, so if you think about uh, Amsterdamers, um, they are always known to be a little bit different than the rest of the Netherlands, and it has historical roots. Uh, Amsterdam people are known to be very straightforward, uh, even further than the classic Dutch uh, straightforwardness. And uh, the decisions are usually taken in a very classic uh, folder model of thinking. So lots of stakeholders, uh, lots of respect to different opinions uh, and lots of liberty. Um, so Amsterdam throughout the history uh, has always uh, expressed uh, unique uh, point of views. Um, yeah, so in that sense, I see Amsterdam as a leading city of the country. Uh, I also see Amsterdam as a very interesting case because it's not a very big city if you compare it to large metropoles like London or Paris. Sure. But um, when you look at its impact in the world economy, for example, it has an enormous impact in terms of, for example, property investments. It's the sixth in the world list of the most impactful uh, uh, cities in the world. So I think it, uh, it says a lot uh, from that perspective. Well, sure. Uh, this uh, data is very important when we are talking about about a city and uh, you have to acknowledge that also a center which is small and um, as Amsterdam can make a huge impact. And that should be a lesson for every city. No matter your size, you can have an impact on our society, economy, and uh, that's 
that's very important point. And regarding this, to inspire us, our generation, I would like to ask you, as a professor, as a university professor, what should our generation acknowledge to create a more sustainable future for, for our little cities or big metropolis? I think sustainability is going to change uh, its meaning in the coming years, especially having the COVID uh, experience uh, that we are going through today. Sustainability has always been seen as the uh, balanced uh, development model that balances economy, society and environment. So on the one hand, you continue growing on the other hand, you don't disturb the environment and you basically sustain a balanced uh, kind of lifestyle. Uh, and for cities, it has always been a big political uh, question mark how sustainability should be defined. Usually, um, policymakers see it like uh, very uh, pragmatically, uh, for example, throwing a couple of parks and paying some attention to the green spaces and you will be sustainable city, while actually sustainability is more complex than that, more sophisticated than that. For example, again, thinking of Amsterdam, think of Schiphol, one of the biggest airports in Europe, one of the busiest in Europe. It's almost in the heart of the city. It's very close to the city. And there are a lot of uh, environmental impacts connected to Schiphol, but you can't just take a decision and remove it from the surroundings of Amsterdam to somewhere else. There are all these discussions always. But at the end of the day, these decisions uh, have very big economic and political impacts. So sustainability is a very political term uh, when you think about it. Uh, that's why uh, through the years, all those sustainability indicators have been developed and uh, used by the uh, policymakers. So you can uh, prove that you are very sustainable by looking at certain indicators, but actually, in reality, maybe you are not that sustainable. So what, uh, why I think that after uh, COVID things will change, because now we have the social uh, impact of um, sustainability more in the uh, understanding of sustainability coming into the uh, perspective, uh, which has always been there, social sustainability, but we didn't really pay too much attention to the balance in the society. But now we realize those things are getting together. You have health conditions, you have um, certain conditions that required for people to feel happy and comfortable, uh, and that requires some physical, uh, new physical interventions in the city as well. We need, for example, uh, we realize that we need more space, uh, more public space to feel free, to move free without paying for it. We need also uh, equal uh, forms of uh, housing for everyone. So people living in very small, very bad conditions appear to have uh, worse uh, health conditions. We also realize that there are all kinds of other factors that we need to consider within these sets of political sustainability indicators. So in that, uh, to finalize my answer, I can tell you that 
although I see sustainability as a very political understanding of reality of how we balance environment and our societal and economic goals, I think we need to look at it now from a real uh, perspective of quality of life. Sure, I think all what you said makes sense and uh, I share it totally. And that made me think about a project that you um, you took part in, which is called Parkour, Public Accountability to Residents in Contractual Urban Redevelopment. And um, it focuses on the extent to which and how governments form and associated with the use of contractual approach in regulation uh, regeneration projects dealing with previously uh, redeveloped land, impact on equalities and implication for sustainability and urban development. development. Um, could you talk a little bit about this project uh, in relationship with the city of Amsterdam? Yeah, that uh, project uh, is actually um, illustration of how actually um, neoliberal entrepreneurial uh, governance dynamics are affecting city building. Uh, normally, when you look at it, the governance, uh, we all know that the governance has become more uh, market dependent and uh, private sector is much more uh, taking place in decisions. But we knew it as a very kind of broad um, concept. In this project, we wanted to go deeper into how this actually happens. How do uh, city governments incorporate uh, uh, their cooperation with uh, private sector actors? And how do they do that is, of course, through contracts. Um, because lots of uh, the city building today takes place in scattered forms of projects popping up everywhere in the city without really much um, coordination between when and how and through which actors they will be realized because it's all based on the opportunities created by the economy. So if there are investors, if there are developers interested in developing an area, that area becomes a priority. And of course, then this project, uh, this particular project will uh, have lots of different actors involved in it. You would have, of course, the municipality and different public uh, agencies connected to it. You would have investors, maybe not one, but many different types of investors. You would have developers, you would have construction companies, law companies, uh, architecture companies, and of course, at the end of the day, citizens. Um, people who have businesses in this area or work in this area. So whoever is connected to this project would actually have a say in this project. So how to coordinate it is through a contract. So there are many contracts today um, made for coordinating the actions uh, of different actors and defining their responsibilities. Because of course, if you are working with a private sector company as a public sector uh, agency, you need to uh, list certain forms of accountability that those or responsibilities that those firms have to feel, fulfill. Otherwise, of course, as the public sector, you are not fulfilling your accountability to your citizens. So this project was about looking at these contracts, what kind of inequalities these contracts may uh, create, especially looking from the point of view of the citizens, 
residents who are living in the city who have, let's say, less um, impact in these contracts compared to companies coming with big law firms uh, who are actually, you know, writing these contracts. Sure. So, yeah, uh, the project was really about looking to these contractual relationships and seeing the city through diverse contracts, the collection of diverse contracts, let's say. Okay, okay. And uh, do you think these uh, inequalities and uh, implication for sustainability affected uh, the city of Amsterdam? Well, it affects everywhere because it's a process uh, especially escalated after the 2008 economic crisis because in 2008 we were going through another form of crisis. Um, and because cities are today very much dependent on private sector capital to sustain it, their development, uh, after the economic crisis, of course, what happens? Uh, private sector investors and development companies wait for a while because they don't know the conditions of the economy. So this is exactly what happened uh, right after 2008. Lots of investors stopped their activities and waited for a while leaving the city of Amsterdam, uh, all these plans the city had uh, basically abandoned. So the city had to develop new regulations, actually the country developed new regulations, in order to stimulate more market activities, meaning making, more, making it more attractive for the market uh, parties which leads us to a new form of uh, regulation. Today, we are working on almost the Dutch government is ready with the new law on Havingswet, which is the new environmental and uh, planning uh, act, which gives more, uh, let's say, uh, easier access or easier procedures for everyone, not only for the private sector, but also for the citizens to get together and organize themselves to issue uh, permits to uh, create new projects in cities. Uh, it sounds very nice, of course, it is good for the economy, but there comes the inequality part. Uh, of course, this form of very entrepreneurial active uh, action uh, requires people to have connections and uh, being active citizens to initiate such projects. So let's say if you are a passive citizen, if you don't have connections, or if you are just a shy person who can't really express yourself through regulations, or you don't know how, you are out of this system. So my question would be here, who is watching your interest? Because public sector at the end is responsible to safeguard the wider public interest. So in this model, we see that those who are powerful, those who have more connections, those who can organize themselves, can get more out of this form of contractual development than those who can't. So that's the inequality I see. In general, the Dutch cities compared to other European cities are more just, more equal. We have social housing uh, provision mechanisms, we have power in the hand of the regulatory uh, agencies, uh, institutions to uh, control uh, equal access, but uh, still this kind of new um, 
forms of contractualism may change these balances in the Dutch society. Okay, okay, I get it. It's a double-edged sword in the end, what, uh, what you told me. There are good, there's a good side, uh, the bright side, but there's also a dark side that maybe we're not aware of at the beginning. So, yeah, and uh, that's common in many acts and many regulation. There's a part that we don't see and we should be educated to understand it completely as citizens. And that's something that, in my opinion, sometimes lacks in uh, education, uh, educate the citizen uh, to understand their role in the society. Yes. By the way, apart from my ideas <laughs> and my, uh, yes, and my ideas, um, I want to ask you another question off topic from what we just said. You mentioned COVID-19 pandemic before. And uh, obviously, I have to. We have to talk a little bit about what this means. How will be perceived human de uh, development, uh, urban development? I'm sorry. Uh, after the pandemic, uh, will it be affected from our shift towards social distance relationship? I don't know. When uh, I was thinking about this question, what came to my mind is like many cities. There are buildings. There are studios. Uh, for uh, many uh, activities. But since one year now, we are doing uh, smart working at home. Will this be necessary anymore? We have studios to spend so much money in, uh, in structures that could not be used. What do you think? I think that uh, the pandemic will definitely influence the new form of urban uh, city building. Um, the new forms of housing, the new forms of office developments, uh, new forms of public spaces and uh, places where we are going to have fun. We will definitely have new kind of indicators or factors to make things work in case, again, we have this kind of uh, health-related uh, uh, pandemics. Uh, however, I don't think that there will be a shift uh, like a complete opposite shift from black to white or vice versa. I think it's going to be a mixture of new uh, elements in cities. So if you look to the history of planning, um, planning came actually to the scene as a response to this kind of pandemics. Because what was happening then in 1930s, actually at the end of the 19th century, uh, because of lots of pollution and the industrialization in the center of cities, people were having very unhealthy lifestyles. So um, some governments came up with the idea of creating new neighborhoods outside the city in green areas, giving people more space to live and uh, creating better lifestyles. And urban planning became um, a profession connected to that. So. Yeah, moving uh, uh, about two centuries further, we are dealing with another pandemic. I think we are going to learn from it. I think what we are going to learn from it is that maybe some offices, some businesses will go to more flexible kind of uh, office use, uh, but not necessarily everyone. Take, for example, us, those who are busy with education and research. Uh, we have to be in some space. Uh, if you are dealing with social science, you don't have labs in your buildings, but lots of technical universities have to make those experiments and they need their labs 
so you have to go to your office uh, or if you are working in a hospital for example you cannot just do it from distance um, but there are those services especially financing banking that kind of you know uh, insurance that doesn't require you to be in the office space will change their way of uh, working during the pandemic i was uh, following lots of podcasts and uh, webinars of the property industry and property industry is busy discussing how they will change also this kind of new office provisions for example they are discussing that would you need really um, an office space um, for big companies for example imagine uh, the center of zaldas in amsterdam or city of london or manhattan where the rents for office spaces are too high now you are accommodating all your employees to go there and work there every day so now they are discussing maybe they will move into having kind of collaborative uh, spaces where they will only use for uh, prestigious meetings or having a kind of um, presentation but then letting their employees just to work from home but then it doesn't stop there how can you make your employees to work from home if you don't know how their uh, residential conditions are during the pandemic we all realize we don't have very good office spaces i mean first of all they are not sound isolated uh, also not everybody in a household has their own office space so if you have two people in the same household living in a small apartment with a child who got stuck at home, they had huge problems of doing their jobs, basically. So if you are making your employee to work from home, it means that you will also have to require your employee to have um, uh, office-related uh, um, uh, living conditions in their home. So the property industry is also discussing this, creating affordable, more um, suitable for working from home kind of uh, residential units, especially for those uh, startup people, young people, uh, uh, families uh, with or without children, so that uh, companies can also make use of these facilities. So my question would be, how or what kind of new inequalities may be created by this? Because say that you are applying for a job and this job requires you to work from home because the company doesn't have an office anymore. You only go to the office when there is a big meeting that you have to go. So of course you want to have this job, but at the same time you are living in an apartment building and you have two children and your wife or your husband also has the same uh, condition so you apply for the job but you are not going to perform very well in your job so would the company take care that you have those facilities in your home space also you can think of the micro scale do you have the ergonomy at home that you would offer comfort to people physically to sit on the office furniture that you would normally uh, provide in your office or the technical um, infrastructure including the internet connection we all suffered from in the middle of your meeting or lectures i 
experience a lot. You are frozen or you are kicked out of the Zoom and then you have big, big problems. So all these questions are still open, uh, but you can see that it creates new forms of inequalities in cities that we are going to face and deal with as um, our profession, urban planning. Of course, I'm a planner. Uh, so we think about these details, but of course, in a larger scale by other professions as well. Well, this answer, I think, was very, very important for us and the public who is listening to us, it gave us very a lot of insights uh, and uh, things to develop in our mind. I think this is what you said is knowledge that has to be settled in our mind and then it will take a form in our everyday life. Because for example, uh, I realized during the pandemic, we had these issues at home, me as a student or my boyfriend as a professional, uh, professional figure, um, it was difficult. And I think after you said that we are going, me firstly, I'm going to realize all these little things in my everyday life that are going to change. So this one was our last question. So I would like to thank Professor Tunata Shankok for her words that were very precious for all of us. Thank you for the opportunity for me to talk here. It was very uh, a pleasure to stay with you. So I hope everyone had fun and learned something new and see you in the next episode of our Eco Tour podcast. Bye. Bye.